The sermon reading for today is from Judges chapter 7, verses 15 through 18. As soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped. And he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. And he divided the 300 men into three companies and put trumpets in the hands of all of them and empty jars with torches inside of the jars. And he said to them, Look at me and do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then blow the trumpets also on every side of the camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you all here this morning. Uh, My name is Dave. I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Church Tucson, and it's really good to um, see you all here this morning. Um, If you're new or you've never heard me preach before, I just want to give you all a uh, a heads up. I have a speech impediment, so it'll kind of come in and out as we go. And I just want to make sure that you guys know what that is um, uh, as we go. So, um, there's a lot going on this morning that we're going to cover. Okay. So, um, we're going to need to get into it pretty, pretty quickly. Um, we have, uh, this is mentorship Sunday. Um, the, uh, first of hopefully many mentorship Sundays, um, here at Redemption Tucson. And so I'll explain more at the end of the service, what that is and what's, what it's all about. But essentially, Mentorship Sunday is where a number of people who have signed up to be mentors who want to invest their lives in the life of of others will come up here and will introduce themselves, and then um, we will call you to come up. uh, If you want to be mentored, you'll come up, you'll introduce yourself, and um, uh, yes, it sounds messy and potentially awkward, and we find that uh, often that's what God calls us into, uh, to trust him and to follow him through uh, messy and potentially awkward things, and it's good, and we're really excited about it to see God continue to shape us um, in what it looks like to follow Jesus in all of life, and so um, so that's what we have going on this morning, so we're going to get into our our, uh, our sermon here together. Uh, if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Judges chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible, go ahead and uh, lift your hand up high, and somebody will get you one. También si necesitas la Biblia en español, solamente diga español. So we want to make sure everyone can have a Bible in their own language that they can keep. And if you don't own a Bible, you do now, okay? This is our gift to you. We want to make sure everybody has a Bible that they can keep and underline stuff and read and um, understand. And um, Judges it has been fun so far, right? If you have your kids in here with you, I just want to remind you this is the like PG thirteen um, uh, judges is is not like your what you think in su- su- Sunday school. In fact, we'll see all the more today. It's not like be like this person and just copy and paste what they do. You don't want to do that, um, as we'll see. And also, we're taking on huge chunks. Okay, we love going through books of the. Bible as a church, we believe that as we consistently come under God's word and we submit ourselves to what he's teaching, that we're shaped and that our hearts are transformed. And so we go through books of the 
Bible here. And um, as we're walking through Judges, I'll just say we can't cover everything you would want to cover. So all the more, we strongly encourage you to, to, again, get a Bible. If you don't have one, get one from here. Take it. Read through Judges consistently. And in fact, each week as we get prepared for the coming week, I encourage you to, to look ahead, underline stuff, put question marks where, and there are a lot of spots where you could put question marks and um, come prepared and we won't cover everything like you'll see today we're covering two massive chapters and there's um, a lot in it and again we're going to keep our, our service a little bit shorter today to give room for the mentorship um, element of, of this so we're going to do kind of a flyby quick hit but what we'll see is the cycle continue, okay? If you've never read through Judges, or again, if you're new, um, Judges walks through a cycle, and it, it kind of goes like this, okay? Just a quick snapshot is that, um, actually, I'll just start at the very beginning, okay? God created his people. God said, let us make man in our image after he created the heavens and the earth and all the things in it to reflect his glory. And then he said, let us make man in our image to reflect my glory. That's key, actually, what we'll see in uh, the guy we're looking at today. God said, reflect my glory. Be my image bearers. And then we individually and corporately said, no thanks, God. We want to be glory stealers. We don't want to reflect your glory. We want to try to try to establish our own glory in our own lives apart from you. And so that's sin. Sin, in a nutshell, is not God. Sin is, no thanks, God. I don't want to be a part of what you've created me for. I want to do it on my own. And then God made a promise that he would undo the effects of sin in the world, that sin is not the way it's supposed to be in, in, in individual life, in family life, in community, in society, globally. It's not the way it's supposed to be. Life lived apart from God. And so God said, I will restore what has been broken. Well, where we find ourselves in Judges is in the time basically where the people were still anticipating this promise that God would restore what has been broken. And so they were enslaved in Egypt, and then um, Joshua, um, actually first Moses, led them out of Egypt. Sorry, I didn't forget that for a moment there. Moses, right, said, let my people go. God said that. They went. He led the people out of Egypt. They went out. Then Moses sinned, and after they wandered, he didn't get to take the people into the promised land, so Joshua was raised up, and the people are being formed. They go into the promised land land, and it's like church camp, okay? It's like mountaintop high. Things are good. God's going to finally do what he promised to do, and then you come back from church camp, and it's not going so well, and that's what's going on in Judges. The theme verse throughout Judges is, there was no God in Israel, and everybody did what's right in his own eyes, and we could be tempted to look down our noses and be like, how do they worship all these idols, these false gods, but as we've seen time after time, that we look a lot like the people in Judges. It's an eerily similar um, culture and reality to our lives today. It's life lived apart from God, and it's ugly. And this cycle goes on. And this cycle that we'll see here is one of sin, of, of embracing not God, of embracing life apart from God. And then from there, God sends oppressors who come to, uh, to, to awaken his people. And it's the consequence of sin is they're oppressed um, by these other cultures and other communities and other countries and other lands, and they're oppressed and enslaved. And then they finally call out supplication. They call out to God. God, save us. And then God sends a Savior, someone to rescue them, but it's an imperfect Savior. It's one who cannot save completely and fully, but they do enter into then a time of rest. 
And but the cycle, remember, it's not a merry-go-round. The cycle of sin that many of us embrace and live in in our day today. It's not a merry-go-round. It's more like a toilet. It doesn't just start and stop at the same spot. It gets uglier and uglier and goes down and down and down, taking you somewhere ugly and gross. (laughs) There's a good imagery for you. And so we'll see that the cycle today continues to get worse. That it comes around and the cycle of, of, of rest is, there's like an asterisk next to it. It's not as restful as it has been. In fact, sin is still really intertwined there and it's even hard to distinguish. It says they have a time of rest, but it looks like it's also pretty sinful and pretty messy. And then the next person who takes over to lead, it's like a one-stop cycle. It's just all sin. It's all sin and oppression, and it's ugly and it's gross. And so what we'll see as we walk through to give us some handlebars as we walk through this whole thing today is this. We'll see that the main theme, the main point is God alone. And then we'll see in the first part that God alone saves. And then that God alone is glory, that glory belongs to God alone. And then next, God alone is king. And then lastly, that God alone brings true and lasting peace. And we're going to see that abundantly clear, and that alone needs to be emphasized because God's people don't embrace that, and they don't live in light of that. And so again, the main point as we get into this is this, is that God alone brings true and lasting peace individually, in family, in community, in society, and in the world. So with that, let me pray and ask God to lead us through this time as I have a large task ahead of me to kind of cut my normal sermon time in half. I have a stutter. It's not very nice to make me do those kind of things, but so let's ask God to help us. Um, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the chance to come at it together as your people. Lord, being formed in what it means to know and follow you in all of life. Lord, thank you for the good news of Jesus that um, is, uh, is being, um, Lord, hinted at and spoken of. And Lord, that the ground is being tilled and prepared for the anticipation of the only one through whom hope and rest and salvation and peace can come. And so, Jesus, I pray that we will see you and respond to you as we come under the word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so um, getting right into it here, we see God's salvation alone in Judges 7, just to kind of pick up where we are there. Then Jeroboam, or Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod. And the camp of Midian was north of them by the hill of Moreh in the valley. And then the Lord said to Gideon, the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, my own hand has saved me. So God, um, what comes next here is, 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 so God raises up Gideon. If you remember last week, we saw that he is a sheepish and hesitant leader, they Gideon um, is like, no, 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 that he's focusing on himself too much, and in that case, it lends to sheepishness and fear, and he doesn't, um, he doesn't see God for who he truly is. And so he's like, I don't know, God, surely not me. Well, now finally God has appeased him, and he's, and, he's, and he's entered in, and he met him where he's at. Remember, even in his faithfulness, God moves toward him, meets him where he's at. He raises up these people. So they've got about 32,000 people 
And God knows what happens when we focus on ourselves too much. And so um, he says, you know what? You have too many people to save you, even though you have way less than the surrounding nations that you're going to go and fight. Um, you have too many because I know you people. You're fickle, and you cry out for help, and then I'll help you, and then you'll think, look what we did. And so he gives this whole plan, and he says, okay, now, um, I want you to know that, that, that God alone saves so here's what we're going to do. Okay, we're going to have, um, have all your men go and get a drink from the river. And those that get down and drink, um, like get down on one knee and use their hand and, and drink that way, kind of keeping alert, and they take water from their hand to their mouth, um, set them aside. But other people who get down and like a dog or something are just like, bah, just get in there and just get after the water and take a drink um, and, don't, and then put them aside on one side. And then after they do that, he sees like a lot more people got down and just kind of started drinking like a dog would, and there's only 300 people left on this side. And God said, yeah, take those men. That's who you're going to take with you to fight. Everybody else send home. And he had said before that whoever's afraid and stuff, which I don't know, those other people must have been long, long lying. How are they not all afraid? But either way, God whittles them down to 300 men. And Gideon's afraid, and Gideon doesn't think this sounds like a very good idea. But God does this to reveal that salvation belongs to him alone. As we saw in verse 2, he knows that the people will forget that. He knows that the people will be tempted to say, look what we've done. And still, that will happen. But God wants to make it abundantly clear that salvation is his and his alone. It's not in numbers. We saw in other weeks, it's not in chariots of iron, and all these other things, God alone saves. Um, author and pastor Tim Keller says this, again we see the principle of salvation that comes continually in Judges and the rest of the Bible. God does not save through expected means or through strength. Salvation belongs to God and God alone, and yet still Gideon shows his true colors. In this next scene, we see that, that Gideon wants some of the glory. That Gideon wants to, wants to get some of the credit for God saving and rescuing his people. So um, continue on with me here. And now we pick up in, uh, in, in, in verse 18 and see what, what, uh, what goes on here. We actually re read this part, okay? So Gideon's afraid. Gideon's like, God, I don't know. And God says, okay, um, keep bringing down the number to 300 people. And Gideon's nervous. And then finally God tells him this whole thing. And then in verse 18, what does Gideon say? When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then blow the trumpets also on every side of all your camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon, <laughs> right? We see an incredible hypocrisy here with Gideon. Consistently, he says with his mouth something very different than what he lives by. Ah, oh, it's not just me, you know, it's God, glory to God, glory to God. But guys, when you do this, shout for the Lord and for Gideon. Like, like slip my name in there. I uh, remember playing basketball with a guy. Yes, I've played basketball before. And you're like, you're five feet tall. How do you play basketball? But I played basketball once in my life. And this one guy was really good. And whenever he would like drain a three, he would run back, backward, and say, glory to God, glory to God. And you just wanted to punch him. And 
you're like, you are not glorifying God right now at all. And I mean, the hard thing was, as is often the case, this was like the nicest guy in the world. So he probably really was making sure we were all glorifying God, but we weren't. We're mad at him. Um, And and, um, and yet, I don't know that guy's heart, but it's clear here that Gideon wants to assert himself. He wants to steal a little bit of God's glory. And and yet God... um, makes it clear that, that really glory belongs to him and to him alone. And so what, what happens here in this whole part in, um, verse, in chapter 7, verses 9 through um, 25, is Gideon goes in, he, he brings his servant with him. It says in verse 9, That same night the Lord said to him, Arise, go down again to the camp, for I have given it into your land. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pura, your servant. So remember, this is God saying, hey, I'm going to save my people. I'm God. I have all authority and all power. Trust me. Believe in me. And Gideon, time and time again, hangs out a fleece, right? If you weren't here last week, not a good thing. Don't hang out fleeces. We, you, contrary to whatever Christian card or bumper sticker you see, hanging out fleeces is not good. It's not trusting God, not taking God at his word. And so still Gideon continues to do this. And so that's why in verse 9 it says, it says, God says, trust me, but if you can't trust me, go down. Go down into the camp of Midian. So he sneaks up and he gets next to a tent and he overhears some of these Midianites talking. And they're um, aware that God is with his people and that he's bringing salvation for his people and they're afraid and they're worried and they're talking and they mention Gideon's name. And so Gideon gets a little bit puffed up now. The pendulum is insane how quickly Gideon goes from woe is me, I can't do anything to over here like, man, did you hear that? Like they just mentioned my name. They know who I am. They've heard of me. There's something impressive about me. Remember, when we focus on ourselves, we go from one extreme to the other. We go from extreme sheepishness and, um, you know, timidity, underestimating God. We go from glory denier to glory stealer. Right over here, oh, it's all about me. And sometimes, some of us are aware of this, that pendulum goes like in the course of, of a day, swings back and forth, right? Like you look in the mirror in this angle and you're like, I look so good. I'm the best looking person in the world. And then you're walking and you walk past the storefront and you're like, oh man, that angle's awful. Oh, and then you just get all insecure, right? (laughs) Come on, I'm not alone here. (laughs) Right? Well, that on 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 a heart level, Gideon is focusing on himself just like the rest of the people looking away from God. And at first he denies God's glory. God, surely you cannot save. Surely I cannot take you at your word. And then he overhears these people talking, and he says, wow, God is really going to, wait, scratch that. I really am going to get the victory here. And now he goes to glory stealer, and he denies God's glory, and he wants to insert himself in there. Now, he doesn't with his mouth, right, just like that guy I talked about. Glory to God, right? You can sugarcoat it. You can do however you want to do it. But he says, he still says, for the Lord. But his true heart is revealed that he inserts himself there. And for Gideon. And for me. I want to make sure everybody knows that I had a hand in this. Guys, I've been convicted thinking through how easily, how subtly throughout my day. All right, somebody compliments my kids. And I know 
right? I know how much of God's favor is, is helping them in spite of me, is growing them as covenant uh, followers of him, is, is, is that God's blessing over our household has, is very much in, in spite of me naturally and God's shaping me and working on me and by his grace through me and yet in that moment, well, you know, there's this thing that we do every night that I just came up with, you know, I, I don't know, lead my kids through this process and I know they're angels. And, you know, and I mean, it's so subtle but it's so easy to do and yet glory belongs to God and God alone. And God always wants that to be true. Let me say this too, because again, the pendulum goes to each extreme. In our weakness and in our strength. This doesn't mean that you ignore, if God has given you certain gifts and strength, if you have certain abilities or whatever, it doesn't mean you deny those or you ignore those or you muster up false humility. But it means that even in your strength, you see that as an opportunity to reveal God's glory. And in your weakness, when you're questioning, God, would you really have me do that? I don't know. I'm shy. Do you know my background? Do you know? In our weakness and in our strength, God wants to reveal that his glory belongs to him alone. And then continuing on here again, his true colors come out all the more in chapter 8 here. In verse 23, we see now that Gideon wants to be king. His words say everything but that, but his actions prove that that is truly the case. In verse um, 22, pick up there with me. Then the men of Israel, so this is after they've found salvation, they've found rescue, they've defeated the people, and now the people of Israel are astonished that God actually fulfilled his word. And the men of Israel said to Gideon, rule over us. You and your son and your grandson also, for you have saved us from the hand of Midian. Rule over us. You, be our king, Gideon. Be our king. And in the context here, they want a king, but they don't want the right king. They want a king because all the other nations and all the other peoples have a king. And in that day, the king was the tall, dark, and handsome person that everybody wanted to look like, everybody wanted to be like. The king was like the the physical representation of all the masses, of all the people. And um, and so that's why they wanted a king. They didn't want a king that would, they didn't want God to be their king. They wanted a king that would make them feel better about themselves. So they're like, Gideon. Clearly, you've got some game. You just took 300 guys and you defeated this massive army. So you be our king and your son and your grandson. They want to replace God as king. That's the heart. That's what's going on here in the context. And Gideon says in verse 23, I will not rule over you and my son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. Thank you for that Sunday school answer, Gideon. And it'd be really easy to focus in on that one verse and just spend time and look at all these things about Gideon's humility, but nothing backs it up. In verse 24, the very next verse, right? I won't rule over you. God will be your king. But in verse 24, and Gideon said to them, but let me make a request of you. Every one of you give me the earrings from his spoil, for they had golden earrings because they were Ishmaelites. And they answered, we will willingly give them. And, and they spread a cloak, and every man threw in the earrings of his spoil. And the weight, and it just goes on and describes the weight of it, and the purple garments, and everything involved there is something only a king would do. He's, he's, he's taking tribute. 
He's taking the, the spoils from their victory. And he's subtly saying here, victory belongs to me. I'm not going to rule over you. Guys, guys, no, don't, don't, don't tell me to be king. But give me all your stuff like you would only give to a king. <laughs> right? Show that you really do um, trust me and that I really am your ruler by giving me all these spoils. That is clearly what's going on. He's taking up a, a religious and a political um, offering. So he's acting like a king. And then he continues and he goes on. And so he not only, he only takes these tributes, these kingly tributes, but then he goes on and he establishes a place of worship in his hometown. And he, and he, and he makes it so that, so that the worship of God happens where he lives. Again, something that a king would do, asserting his authority. He goes from glory denier to glory stealer. And he's such a hypocrite, like so many of us. And just to make it even more clear, right, what they say up there in verse 22, you and your son and your grandson, no, 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 not, not me or my son or my grandson, but I'm going to go ahead and name my son Abimelech, whose name means my dad is the king. <laughs> Like, again, if you are reading this in the original language, we miss this. You are like rolling over laughing at the incredible um, nuance here of the way this is written. Gideon's hypocrisy is abundantly clear. And so we've got to see that it's like he clearly wants to be king, and yet God alone will be king. God is God, and he has created a people to be his people through his faithfulness, through his salvation, through the re revealing of his glory, and through his kingship in all of life. And yet Gideon tries to steal it. And then going on, we see the consequences of his sin here in the last section that the people think, okay, now we've got some peace. Now we've got some rest, right? We've got our king, our ruler. Even though he's so humble, he doesn't want to be called king. We have our ruler. And then Gideon goes on and dies. And they have a time of rest, again, remember, with an asterisk next to it, a time of rest that's now completely riddled with sin because his son, Abimelech, takes over. And in this whole section here, Abimelech rules. Again, his dad, his name means my dad's the king. And so this whole chapter, chapter 9, verses 1 through 57, all the way into uh, chapter 10, verse 5, it's all bad. It's ugly. Nothing good is going on. Abimelech, right, whose dad is king, whose dad is this humble ruler who wants to affirm God and glorify God and all this stuff. His, his true colors are revealed, and the consequences of his sin are fleshed out, and it's ugly. His son Abimelech rules, and he commits heinous murder. He kills um, his 70 brothers. I have three older brothers, and I might have made some empty promises when I was young, and they were giving me swirlies and wedgies and beating me up and all these things. I might have said some things, but um, I love my brothers. Isn't that, I, that's kind of the, like, the, the catch-22. Like, you're like, when I'm big enough to beat you up, I'm going to beat you. Any younger siblings in here, that, right? And then what happens? You get big enough and old enough. You've worked hard. They're your motivation for working out every day. And then you get old enough and God does something and you're like, oh, I love my brother. 
Uh, and, you, and now you don't want to fight them anymore. And in fact, that'd be horrible. And you know that that would be. And so you don't do it. Man. But Abimelech doesn't do that. He, he does it. He follows through. And so he is so threatened by his other brothers here that he kills them all. And in fact, it's another picture of Gideon's hypocrisy. Abimelech is the son of a concubine. And only a king would have many wives and many concubines and go out there and try to have many sons because a king, in order to keep his kingdom going, would want to kind of stack the deck, if you know what I mean, with a bunch of sons. It would carry on his name. So clearly Gideon wants to be king and wants his family to rule for a long time. And the fruit of that is his son Abimelech, who's terrible. And he goes out and he kills all his brothers. He commits all kinds of crimes. Anyone that he's afraid of, he kind of, he's got this false, like, friendship. And he's like, hey, no, not you, not you, okay? You're my boy. And then he goes to anyone else so that he thinks they're afraid of him, and he just rules with an iron fist, and he kills him. And he's awful. As what we see here is the clear consequence of sin. Very, very plainly put, the consequence of focusing on you. Okay, I know that some of us in here are naturally really, really insecure, and we fall on that side that too often is not called a sin. We focus on ourselves so much that it results in, God, you would never use me. You could never do anything through me. We focus on ourselves, and we are glory deniers. And then maybe that shifts. Maybe, maybe you get encouraged, or maybe some of us that err on the other side, and we're extroverted and outgoing, and we just talk to people, and we've now become glory stealers. And by focusing on ourselves, we think, man, I can do all things that I've set my mind to. I can, I can do whatever I want. I've, man, I, or maybe we, we blur it up a little bit. Maybe we say, yeah, God's really gifted me in X, Y, and Z. And then we go on for half an hour and we talk about all the things we've done and all the gifts that we have and how for God's glory. And then we just keep on going on and, right, and we insert ourselves into it, the whole place. And very, very bluntly, we see the consequences of sin that we trick ourselves into thinking don't exist, right? There was no God in Israel, and everybody did what was right in his own eyes. And what we think, what we take today, what's the phrase of our day, the catchphrase? Hey, do what you want to do as long as what? As long as nobody gets hurt. As long as no one else gets hurt. And that's a lie. That's impossible. That doesn't exist. Why do you want to sit there and judge everyone else? And let me just say, I know that we need to repent of the sins as a church, as, as Christianity, of, of standing in an ivory tower and judging everyone else. But I also think that's a smokescreen that we create and we blame others and we say, you all want to judge. Why judge everyone else as long as nobody else gets hurt? Well, as we come back to Scripture, as we see God's heart for his people and what life is to look like under his perfect rule and reign, he wants us to have our faces rubbed in the fact that there's no such thing as a sin where nobody else gets hurt. Somebody always gets hurt. Gideon, in his hypocrisy, had absolutely despicable consequences. And yet, do you not think he carried himself in a posture? He was so creative with how he worded things and how he lived that he could have stood back and be like, hey, I know I have some extra wives. I know I have some extra concubines. I know I took this tribute, but hey, no one's getting hurt, right? Look what I've done. Look what I've done. 
Well, the consequence of sin will not always be apparent to us right when it happens. Often, in fact, let me be real, specifically with the men, I think with all of us, but I just, my heart goes out to here seeing a lot of men right now that we think, you know, the things that I do, I'm still there, I still provide for my family, I'm still, you know, I'm just, yeah, my, my, my internet, you know, habits on the side here, you know, it's, I slip up sometimes, right? We kind of church it up and make it sound cute. But the consequences are always ugly and are always going to continue the cycle of sin, the cycle of not God. In fact, I, um, I'm encouraged by this because the good news is that God steps in and undoes the cycle that we and I continue, that we, you and I continue. The cycle of sin, the cycle of not God, the cycle of denying God's glory, the cycle of stealing God's glory. We see in Gideon... The, the, the opposite of all those four things we, we walk through. In Gideon's life, not with his words, but we see not salvation is God's alone. We see not God's glory alone. We see not God's kingship alone. And we see not by God alone will true and lasting peace come. But the good news of Jesus is that he is truly the anti-Gideon. As we, as, I, as we walk through this, we see as we look to Jesus, salvation is clearly by God and God alone. Jesus came fully God, became fully man, and offered his life up on the cross. And even he said, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. But it's very clear, there's no other way. And so that Jesus even said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. The effects of not God cannot be undone but through Jesus. In Jesus, not Gideon, we see salvation belongs to God alone. And in Jesus, we see glory, God's glory alone, that Jesus had every opportunity to take that glory, even on the cross, to say, you guys don't see me for who I am, so I'm going to all of a sudden do some magic tricks and put you in your place. But no, he said... Or we're told that Jesus said that, that, that his, his place, that his glory was not something that he saw to be grasped, but in fact something that he would lay down humbly for the good of his people, for those who would put their faith in him, to affirm the glory of God and God alone. And then that through Jesus, he and he alone is the king, that he said, behold, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe. Trust in me. The kingdom of God is coming and is among you. And then after Jesus laid down his life and then rose from the dead, ushering in his kingdom once and for all, we now see a picture where he sits from where? His kingly throne saying, Behold, I am making all things new. Jesus alone is the king, and through him and him alone are things being made the way they're supposed to be. The true and lasting peace, individually, in our families, in our community, in our society, in the world, comes through Jesus and Jesus alone. And so now, guys, as we close, as we respond, um, there's gonna be a, there is a very clear action point at the end of a sermon, right, we hear this, we hear there's no king in Israel, there's no king here, everybody does what's right in his own eyes. And we hear the good news of Jesus and we're left with now what? Well, just by God's design, we're left here um, kind of pregnant with application today. 
We're going to talk about mentorship. We talked last week about serving in children's ministry. And those things are not just cute little things. These aren't just like, oh, do this. You know, it's what we do in church. And yeah, mentorship. It's what we do as Christians. No, we see that the cycle of sin, we see that the consequences of, of, of that the, uh, the broken legacy of habitual familial sin that goes on and on, that we carry on the sins of our fathers, that we all do what's right in our own eyes. That cycle is put to an end with Jesus and the application is first and foremost look to him respond to him put your faith in him in a moment Paul's going to come up here and he's going to lead us through a time of response where where we, we we hear about singing and praying and giving and taking communion in response to Jesus and then Sunday is in a really important time that then leads us in our benediction we're we're sent out and the application of the gospel in all of life, in, every, in our everyday lives. And so today, specifically, when we talk about mentorship, I want to plant that seed that it is a direct application. That unlike Gideon and Abimelech and the, the cycle that we pass on to one another, we now get to meet and pour our lives into one another. We now get to invest and become fathers to those who have never had a father, or show to New parents, what it looks like to parent under a gospel-centered home for those who have never seen what that looks like. We get to invest our lives in a school where the numbers are, are, are sad and tragic of those who don't know, who have never known what it looks like to live a life under the good rule and reign of a loving king, Jesus. And so I just want to challenge you now as we prepare to respond. Ask, God, how would you have me respond Look to Jesus as we give our lives to him and him alone. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time we've had in your word. Thank you for the good news of Jesus that defines our lives. Um, Lord, we confess that we're prone to uh, look at ourselves. We're prone to steal your glory. We're prone to deny your glory. We're prone to... uh, Lord, to live lives of, uh, of, of cycle, of continual sin, if left to ourselves. But the good news of Jesus is that that cycle has been, been, has been put to an end. That you are the perfect Savior, unlike Gideon and Othniel and all the others, Lord, that we've seen and that we will see. That you are the true and perfect Savior, that you, drink, that you bring a true and perfect rest. So, Lord, I pray that we will respond to you and give our lives to you and then act, Lord, in reminding one another of the good news of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.